Hey, this is Jamie Beckler, and you're listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, the official podcast of United Basketball Clinics. I'm your host, Chip Clark. Now, let's grow the game together. All right, I'm excited about our guest today on the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. In fact, I've been super pumped about this episode ever since he agreed to be on the show. Um, we're here with Jamie Beckler this evening. Jamie, how are you? Man, I'm doing great, Chip. I appreciate you having me on. I, I love the show, and, and I'm honored to, uh, to be a guest on it. So thanks for, thanks for asking me. That's great. Well, we're super excited to have you, and obviously leadership is your expertise. We're going to dive into a lot of that this evening. Um, for those out there that may not know who you are, um, I could go through this bio read, but I'm not going to do that. I would like for you to tell the guests just kind of a quick blurb about you, um, what you've done in the past, uh, your career path. Yeah, I was a uh, college athlete. I was a college basketball coach and um, I was a high school athletic director. And now I write books. I do a podcast and I travel across the country working with sports teams and speaking at conferences and, and just trying to help out where I can to coach coaches, lead leaders and uh uh, I guess to, to complete the, the cliche student students, but that's kind of stupid. So, you know, I, <laughs> I, whatever it is, I try to, I try to ultimately help out student athletes by reaching their coaches and leaders um, and the people that influence them. So it, it's been a fun journey and I uh, love athletics all my life. And uh, you know, it's, it, it's just fun, even though I don't, I'm not an organized athletics anymore. I still get to be a part of uh, a lot of athletics teams successes and, and struggles. And uh, that's fun. I just don't have to worry about going to bed, you know, losing sleep at night because, you know, I, I didn't call a timeout when I should have, or I, you know, substituted the wrong player and Absolutely. that cost a game. So I don't have to, I don't have to do that anymore. I just consult and help others uh, grow and develop and be better. Yeah, absolutely. A lot less of that stress that comes along with coaching. That's for sure. I, you know, I had the privilege of meeting you about a decade ago on one of your coaching stops in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it was great to it was great to be able to meet you there. And then you know what? Probably seven eight years later, back in 2017, um, you were actually one of our speakers at our first annual Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic for United Basketball Clinics up in Knightstown, Indiana, at the legendary Hoosier Gym. Um, and so it was great to be able to reconnect with you there. Um, you gave a fantastic session, um, which is another reason why I'm excited about this episode tonight. Uh, real quick, what was it like to be be able to speak in the Hoosier gym? I don't know. If, had you visited there before or was that your first time? That was the first time I'd ever been there. And, uh, you know, I was actually a, a high school athletic director in Indiana for a couple of years at the fifth largest gym in the world. Um, nobody has won more boys basketball state titles than the school I was at, which was Marion High School. And, uh, you know, I'd always heard about Hickory, you know, obviously the Hickory Huskers, uh, the fictional team, but uh, it was Myland. Myland was the uh, the actual team in Hoosiers, but the gym was actually Knightstown High School's gym. So I just threw out a few names, but Knightstown was where that that little you know gym was, and it was such a it's such a thrill to go there. And and uh, you know, first of all, Knightstown has such great tradition, anyways. But the gym having been the the home gym of the Hickory Huskers in the movie was great. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to shoot, got to make a shot, 
uh, I, I made a granny shot. Um, you know, like I, I can't even remember. The Ollie. Kids. I think it was Ollie. 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 Yes. I made a granny shot in Hickory's gym. <laughs> now, now it took me like five takes, you yeah. know, I, my percentage wasn't very good. That's a little tough to do, but it was fun to speak to all those coaches. Indiana coaches are great. Uh, you know, they, they love basketball in Indiana and, and to speak in that gym was, was awesome. So yeah, I was so appreciative of you guys asking me and, and you're right. We went back, uh, we go back a, a long ways back to Tennessee temple days. And, uh, you know, that was a fun, that was a fun time there in Chattanooga getting to coach that team. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, just excited to talk to you tonight and, and, uh, appreciate it. once again, you asking me to be out here. Oh, no problem, man. We're, it's our honor. And yeah, going back to Hoosier gym, it was, I think every single person that walks in those doors has to shoot the Ollie granny shot for sure. I, I know I tried it. It probably took me more than five takes. I'm not going to tell you <laughs> what the exact number was, but it definitely took me more than five takes. So, <laughs> but it's, it's so cool walking into that gym and to be able to host the first ever coaches clinic there, uh, like you said, with tons of coaches in there that love the game of basketball in Indiana. Um, it's just an honor to be able to be there. And it was great to have you there that first time um, that we were there. So thanks again for being there. You, you mentioned earlier when you were li uh, kind of listing off the things that you have done in your career path um, that you write books and we've, I've absolutely been able to read those. And it's, it's one of those things that you, when you've done coaching for a while and you're a John Maxwell, you know, leadership guy, um, and you've traveled around speaking, you have this wealth of knowledge and uh, that you can impart. And I love that you use book writing as an avenue to do that. And in fact, one of the things that I wanted to discuss tonight on this podcast is kind of use your most recent book as kind of a roadmap for this conversation. Um, I just finished reading it not too long ago and it was, it was great. It was an easy read. It was, it was packed full of just great nuggets to be able to take out of there. And I will say this, as we, as we kind of prep this conversation that we're going to go into, um, if you're a coach listening, um, I'm sure you've had some of these struggles in the past, you know, with your teams. Um, I've, I'm sure that that leadership and the principles that we're going to discuss this evening, um, you've, you've certainly been faced with some of the challenges that were, that present themselves in the book. And I don't know how much we want to talk about it, but, and go into detail on some of these stories, but, as I read this book, I thought to myself, I've actually experienced a lot of these things on teams that I've been on in the past, you know, and, and dealing with team chemistry and things just being off. And so if you, if you're a coach that has that, um, that kind of team right now and you're struggling and you feel like you're treading water, this is an incredible book to read. Even if you're not, uh, it's an incredible book to read. Um, but it's also, in my opinion, I would say not only recommend for you to read it coaches. Um, but I would actually, I would love to see it be mandatory reading for a lot of the student athletes um, as well, because I think it could hit home with a lot of people. So um, as we dive in, you go ahead and tell me the reason kind of why you wrote this book in the first place. What was your thought process behind it and how'd you arrive where you arrived with it? Yeah, man, I, I appreciate that. That was, uh, uh, I appreciate those kind words. I'm glad you liked the book. I'm glad you found it an easy read and, and insightful all at the same time, because that's, that's what I wanted. You know, uh, I, I didn't want to write a textbook that was hard to read. I wanted to write something that was easy. I wanted to write something that uh, was a fictional book, much like uh, a lot of your listeners are fans of John Gordon or maybe Todd Gonware, who wrote Lead for God's Sakes. And uh, I wanted to write a book like that, a modern day leadership fable. And that was easy to read, easy to digest, but packed a punch. And I also wanted a book, like, you like books, man, I like books. 
I read them all the time. Um, but the reality is students don't necessarily want to read books very often. And so I wanted to make sure that whatever book I was putting in their hands or, or that their coach might put in their hands was fairly simple. And, and you can read this in just a little over two hours, probably. Um, and it, it's, it's fairly easy read. Uh, and, and so we tried to, when we set out to do this, I'd written a couple other books previous, but they've been nonfiction. And, and, and the one, the leadership playbook uh, was fairly well received. And, and we still get a lot of orders from coaches and athletic directors to, to give this to their teams and, and to walk through this book. And it's kind of, you know, my overall uh, manual for leadership. But I wanted to, we essentially wanted to take the leadership playbook and put it into a fictional form. And so a lot of the same concepts are in this story. And, and you hit upon it just right. You know, it's not just for teams that are struggling and challenged. It's for all teams because, because you know, unless, well, I, I don't know any teams that don't have any drama. Uh, You're right. You know, the, the better teams are still going to have drama, just might have less of it, or it might not be as big of a deal, but it can still torpedo your team depending on, on, on what kind of drama and, and if it's addressed in a timely manner or in a proper appropriate manner. And so even if you're, you know, undefeated, there are still going to be conversations that people have on the bus. There's going to be conversations people have in the locker room at, at a truck stop, at the restaurant, you know, on the way home from a game with their parents in the car those conversations and situations could torpedo your team, could sabotage your team, even if things are going well. Um, there's always going to be somebody that that's struggling with something or has an issue with the way things are being done. And so I wanted to provide kind of a, a tool for coaches uh, to be able to give their players, if they so desire, to help those players understand how they should act and how they should communicate with one another when things aren't going the right way. So when people are disgruntled that, you know, well, coach isn't giving me a chance or coaches, coaches doing me wrong, or it's all politics or, you know, fill in the blank, you know, every coach listening to this can fill in the blank with three or four or five things that they're always hearing, or, you know, they're hearing secondhand from their players, just complaints. And so I wanted to deal with a bunch of those. And so we deal with a number of different issues uh, on this bus ride, this fictional bus ride season's not going very well. They go on a bus ride and uh, situations happen, conversations occur, and it, it just helps their, the teammates or the, the players on the team understand that they're not being the leaders and the teammates that they should be. And so, now we, don't, we didn't dive into anything like illegal. We didn't dive into any hazing. We didn't dive into any tragedy stuff. So, uh, we kept it team-related. So, there's not like an accident. There's not, you know, people doing the wrong thing, hazing wise in the back of the bus or anything like that. Um, and, and we, we didn't want to get into that. Um, because coaches, we have enough problems with just team issues and selfishness issues and, and agendas. And so we wanted to handle that and address that, uh, more so than the other stuff, but you know, we've had some good response and we, we've been excited about the book. That's right. And you released it, um, earlier this or earlier in 2019, correct? Uh, we released it, uh, in Thanksgiving. Of Thanksgiving that's right. Oh yeah. That's right. Near the end of 2019. I remember yeah. you sending me a message about it. Yeah. I was saying it was getting ready to drop. I couldn't remember. All my days are running together now. It feels like this, this whole uh, time we've been in isolation has been just like a year or two years. <laughs> yeah. We dropped it, uh, Thanksgiving week and, uh, yeah, we, uh, 
you know, because there's nothing, nothing else going on Thanksgiving week and especially Black Friday. There's nothing right. going on. No, no. <laughs> You know, people, there's nothing vying for people's attention on Black Friday. So we figured we'd have that holiday all to ourselves. But e- uh, Epic release, epic release date. That's great. But we, we actually released the, uh, the Kindle version, the ebook version first. And we kind of marketed a little bit like we actually, we actually had a couple ads running on Facebook about, you know, while you're reading this, waiting in line for those stores to open, you know, you might as well uh, download this book. There you, you know, go. Things That's like great. that. You know, while you're wa- we did the while you're waiting in line type things. That's gr- great marketing strategy. I like that. You know, you referenced um, your leadership playbook um, book that you wrote um, as well. I also wanted to bring up real quick before we dive into this one, um, the, the Building Champions book that you wrote back in 2018, I believe as well. And then uh, so that one's a fantastic one for you guys to check out too. Um, this the one that we're talking about. The title of it is The Bus Trip. Um, as Jamie already talked about and coach, I'd like to go ahead and dive on into some of the principles yeah. that we find yeah, throughout the book. First, before we do, I got to say, um, the character, Mr. Frank, the bus driver is, is an incredible, um, character in my opinion. Um, uh, because I think I've, I've got a list of probably about five people I can think of that are Mr. Frank right now <laughs> that are just dropping truth bombs all the time. Um, but are that, you know, they've, they've been around the block a while, you know, they've, they're, they're kind of setting their ways, but they know. They've got a lot of knowledge to impart. Um, he was one of my, my favorite characters, and he introduced kind of a good principle um, near the start of it, um, near the beginning of the book. And can you kind of take us through that principle a little bit and kind of, you know, without diving too deep into the book, but just give us some of the principle that he was discussing at the start um, when they were boarding the bus to take off on that trip? Well, uh it's it's funny that you mentioned that, and I appreciate. I, I don't know if it's funny that you mention it, but I, I appreciate you mentioning Mr. Frank. And uh, you know the 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 backstory on that. First of all, when you, when you write a book, you can name the characters whatever you want, and you can make them be whoever you want. Um, the main character, the guy that that's kind of, or not the main character, but a guy that kind of holds people together. His name's Jalen. My son's named Jalen. Um, you know. Uh, one of the captain, the captain's names are, are named for my assistant coaches, uh, two, of, two of my assistant coaches. And I kind of did that to honor them. And there's some other people that I honored as well, uh, in a way. Well, well, Mr. Frank happens to be uh, my dad's name. Uh, Frank was my dad and uh, oh. he passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, it's coming up on two years, but, but he, uh, the backstory of the Mr. Frank character is actually pretty much exactly my dad. Um, now, Mr. Frank's character isn't my dad. Um, my dad wasn't dropping truth bombs like Mr. Right. Frank. Uh, not quite that much. And Mr. Frank is a, is a good voice of reason in this. Um, and my dad had a lot of wisdom. Uh, people respected him. He, was, he was, uh, did a lot of great things in our community. But uh, yeah, Mr. Frank is kind of uh, ideal. And a lot of communities have a Mr. Frank, as you mentioned. You know, it might not be a bus driver, but it might be, you know, a local businessman. It might be some, a teacher. It, it could be a coach. Uh, you know, it, it's just somebody that's speaking truth uh, and that's lived, kind of lived through the wars, you know, and, and has a different mindset. And so in the book, he's somebody that's able to kind of, um, kind of be level-headed and all the guys respect him. So when he speaks, you know, they listen. And so. Uh, you know, he's, he's kind of, uh, the first time we're really, there, there's a, I mean, we're introduced to him 
uh, right away because he's the bus driver, but he kind of, not necessarily that he's the yang to the coach's yang because, because the coach is the thing I purposely, I didn't make the coach a great coach and I didn't make the coach a bad coach. That's interesting. The, the coach is somebody that's trying. Uh, the coach has had success in the past, but this year they're struggling and he can't figure out, he can't quite reach this team, but the story is not about the coach. And that's, that, that I have had some criticism from a couple people that, well, you didn't make the coach. Like I've had people say the coach was too nice. And I've had people say that coach, you know, coach yelled at him too much. And I'm like, well, neither one's true. The coach didn't yell at him enough and he wasn't too nice. I mean, he was just, he's kind of in the middle um, because I didn't want the book to be about the coach. I didn't yeah. want players to read this book and say, uh, well, if the coach was better, you know, the team would have been better. Or, well, the team got great because the coach, you know, had a come to Jesus moment. And he realized, you know, it's not like, and if anyone's read like Todd Gonware's book, Lead for God's Sakes, the team, amazing book, one of my all-time favorites. But the team gets better when the coach gets better. It's more of a coaching, a book for coaches. I wanted this to be primarily a book for players. And so we don't have assistant coaches um, in the book, you know, and, and so Mr. Frank is essentially that, that steady voice, um, that steady voice of reason. And, you know, he, he talks about, uh, I believe the story that you're probably uh, thinking about is the Cortez possibly uh, burning yes, your absolutely. boats or the commitment. Uh, and he also talks about uh, uh, the, the commitment in terms of being focused on your commitment. And he talks about uh, this explorer, Cortez, who burned the boats, so they had to be totally committed. And some of your coaching uh, audience will be familiar with that story. Uh, and uh, I actually first heard it from a, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Coach T, Kevin Templeton. That's right. Uh, who was that? Who was that? I, I mean, he's one of the, the smartest people I've ever been around. Absolutely. Highly respected Kevin Templeton. Great coach, great person. But uh, he's where I first heard that story about Cortez. But, but piggybacking on that, Mr. Frank tells a story about the hen and the, uh, and the pig. Yes. And, and how, uh, uh, you know, one of, them's, one of them's involved in breakfast and one of them's committed to breakfast and True. the pig the pig is 100% all in committed to breakfast when you eat ham and bacon the 100% 100% is committed to your breakfast whereas the hen just participates in your breakfast uh by uh plopping out some eggs you know and so uh you know you talk <laughs> about that and that's just an interesting concept of you know some of our players are going i heard once uh uh, I was in an interview. Uh, I was on an interview search committee in a men's basketball. This was at college. This coach was interviewing, and this was the first time I had heard it. But uh, he said there are three types of players, participants, competitors, and champions. And uh, I'll never forget that. And certainly you could probably name more, but, but he went on down the line. You know, participants essentially are just people that, that want to play, have fun playing. Competitors are people that are going to bust their tail when it's required and the champions are going to do everything that needs to be done, even when it's not required. Um, and, you know, so I think of the hen, the hen is essentially a participant. They're participating. 
Um, and that, that pig, you know, they were, they were all in. So yeah, the focus and, and commitment. And so, uh, yeah, I appreciate you bringing up Mr. Frank. That that's interesting um, that you tied the the names of of people in your life into the book. That's I love that you did that. And yeah, absolutely. I was thinking of that principle of commitment um, when I brought up Mr. Frank too, because that that first one of the first interactions he has in the book with the team is that that uh, ham and pig, or excuse me, the pig and the hen uh, example, which was which was great. Um, I, I'm jotting notes down as we're going along because I'm I'm learning stuff here. So. Um, I would like to, um, on the topic of commitment, <clears throat> which is just one of the principles that's brought up in this book, you, you kind of see um, a team that is being pulled different directions um, and you see the commitment level for some of those players not very high, right? And, and then that's one of the reasons why Mr. Frank drops the truth bomb, um, <laughs> right? One of the first ones there. And, uh, and so I know that there is, there's coaches out there right now that are struggling with commitment level from some of their athletes. And it could be for various reasons. It could be because the, the player feels like they're not getting enough playing time. And so they kind of quit on the team, um, which are kind of underlying themes in the book as well. Um, <clears throat> but it could be for many reasons. What, what's something you'd kind of talk, tell the coach right now? I know this, this book was written more towards the players, but I wanted to kind of parallel it with, with, coaching struggles as well and things that we could that could help our coaches what's something that that you would recommend um, when you've got a couple of players on the team that you're just struggling to get that solid commitment out of them yeah that's that's a great question chip and uh you know yes we wrote this book primarily for players um, because there's not enough out there that really addresses how to talk players how to communicate to one another and how they should deal with issues that come up um, and so we wanted that, but it really is a two-way street to have a great team or a great culture. And a lot of teams I work with and even businesses I work with, oftentimes you're hired by the coach to fix the players or you're hired by the CEO or the manager to fix the employees. And it's a two-way street. Uh, it, it can't be one way. It can't be there at fault all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, as coaches, we're going to say, you know, hey, they're idiots or they're soft or they're stupid or they're, they don't care. You know, that's, those are common things. And I said that as a coach too, they're not committed. They're not focused. Okay. You might be right, but guess what? They're also 15, they're 16, they're 17 years old or in college, you know, 19, 20, 21, but they're still not mature enough. It's our job to find ways to inspire them. And sometimes that's tough. Uh, sometimes that requires some intentionality on our part of putting our ego aside and being like, you know what, I, 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 I'm the smartest person in the room and I'm right, but we're not getting it done. And, uh, you know, a lot of times coaches or leaders, in, in fact, will say, hey, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's those kids or it's those employees. They're, you know, they're whatever, fill in the blank. But the problem is, it may not be your fault, but it's 100% your responsibility to find a solution and to make things work. You know, if your kids just didn't run that play right, it's not your fault necessarily that Jalen and Chris have different agendas and they're selfish and they both want a scholarship and they feel like, hey, I need this shot right now or I'm not going to go as hard because I'm not getting the shot right now. You know, that's not your fault. But it's 100% uh, 
your responsibility to figure out how to get Jalen and Chris on the same page for this one play or for this game so that your team can benefit. And that takes some effort sometimes. Um, you know, it's easy. We, we do this all the time as coaches. And I did this too, especially my first few years. Man, you know, I'm running, I'm running Coach K's, you know, offense. And I'm running Tom Izzo's rebounding stuff. And I'm running Pat Summit's defense. And we're not winning enough. Well, the kids are idiots. They're soft. You know, we're running the right stuff. We're doing the right things. But the problem is, is I wasn't inspiring them, inspiring them to do more and to do better and to be the teammates they needed to be. And I also wasn't connecting with them enough where, you know, I don't know how many times I'd say, oh, kids these days, kids these days, they don't run through the wall for you anymore. They're not committed. They don't do this and that. Man, back in my day, well, the reality is I wasn't connecting with them well enough. And so I didn't give them a reason to, to, to buy what I was selling. I didn't give them a reason uh, to know, like, and trust me. You know, I was just about the X's and O's. And if things weren't working, then I was either going to spend more time the next day in practice working on it, or we we're going to put in a different wrinkle to the offense. Oh, that offense didn't work. You know, we're, we're just going to run a different offense. Well, the problem is Chris and Jalen still don't trust each other or don't trust you. Don't trust you. And so you still have the same problem. You're just trying to brush it under the rug. And so I, I know I went off on a little tangent there, Chip. I'm no, that's sorry. Great. But, but oftentimes coming back, you need to be able to connect with your players. So, so I would love it if everybody went out and bought this book for their teams. You know, this would be great. Then my, kid, my kid could get better shoes. He could, he could eat SpaghettiOs and not just <laughs> tomato pasta rings from like Dollar Tree. Okay. You know, we like to live indoors and we like to eat and we like to wear Nikes. Okay. Yes. So buy my book. But, so the, pro your... but, the, but the problem is too many coaches, and I was the same way early on, you buy this book, you give it to your players and you think it's a magic wand and it's not. Same way when I go work with a business or a team, it's not a magic wand to, to hire me and bring me in. Um, I'm definitely not a, a, a a magician. I'm definitely, I don't have all the answers or else I'd be making millions and millions as a coach. Um, right. <laughs> well, I'm actually glad you kind of uh, went off on a mini tangent right there because it actually does tie into what we were talking about with the, um, with the commitment level and what coaches can do and connection with their team is a big deal. But you did reference something else in there that I thought was interesting and I wanted to, to speak on as well was the excuses and the blame, which is another thing that you see throughout the book too. And, and how it could relate to coaches. Um, excuses and blame are things that if we make excuses or we blame someone else, it masks our deficiencies sometimes. And it doesn't allow us to take an inward look at what we can do better, you know, how we can improve a situation. There was plenty yeah. of times in the book that, you know, excuses or blame got in the way of achieved result or of desired results. You know, I feel like everybody wants to win, you know, but, and I know it's, it's been said all over, but, you know, are you willing to do what it takes? Are you committed to doing what it takes? And so excuses and blame are something that, guess what? I didn't see, I didn't see many excuses and blame in Michael Jordan when he played. And I bring that up because <laughs> the last dance is on right now, you know, is on, just came out this last Sunday and I, I was able to watch the first two episodes and man, I've been looking forward to this for quite some time now. But when you talk about commitment and not using excuses or making excuses or blaming other people for things, you know, Michael Jordan was a pretty good role model for that standpoint, you know, and so seeing that commitment level um, and not letting excuses and um, 
the blame or blaming other people for things get in your way of achieving the results you want. So I, I really liked that part of it. And you see that throughout the book sometimes too, with the, with some of the players making those excuses and it really just kind of masks what um, the deficiencies are and what's holding the team back. So I'm yeah, actually glad you went off on that tangent. Well, you're absolutely right, Chip. And, and the excuses thing, uh, I can't say that that's the most important thing because I think they're all, they're all very important, uh, you know, uh, individually and, and together, you know, all these, some of these things uh, do tie in, you know, we do have, we have 10 leadership principles at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the book or weaved in and out throughout the book, we have 10 principles and, and excuses is one of them, but, uh, but some of them merge into others as well. And you could say that, but you know, one of the things about excuses is it doesn't get you any closer to your goals. An excuse never gets you closer to your goal and an excuse never helps the situation. It just makes you feel better uh, in the short term. And, and that doesn't get you, like I said, closer to your goal or the team's goals, but we do it all the time. And we do it not just uh, in basketball, we do it in life. I mean, how many of us get pulled over by a police officer and the very first thing is we're trying to get out of that ticket. We don't accept responsibility. And I'm not saying, right. you know, I'm the same way, you know, I don't want a ticket either, but it's always, Hey, well, why'd you stop me? They were going, you know, other people were going faster or I was going, I was keeping up with everybody else or, well, I, I was just in a hurry, you know, because I had a late start or whatever. Like we're just throwing out excuses and, and players do this all the time. You know, they look for reasons why uh, they're not successful. And most of the time it comes down to us. Um, it, it comes down to our choices. Maybe not in this game. It might, we might've done every single thing we could do in this game that we were capable of. And that goes back to when I said there was three types of players. Maybe we were that competitor. Maybe we did every single thing we could do in that game that was required, but we hadn't put in the effort outside of like I went a hundred percent in this game for the time I was on the floor. Okay. But maybe your conditioning was not good enough that you played five minutes less than you could have if you had been busting your tail in practice and developed your conditioning. And so those five less minutes that you didn't play in this game hurt your team because you weren't on the floor. Um, but when you were on the floor, you gave your, your best, but you didn't do the stuff outside of practice or man, you really listened to coach during the game and, and you, you were on fire and you did everything you could, but you know what? You didn't prepare for the game. You didn't know that this kid was going left every time, or you didn't know the tendencies of this kid, or you forgot this one play and you, you busted your tail. You tried to do everything right, but you weren't prepared ahead of time. Or maybe you, you were a cancer in the locker room. And so maybe you did great, but maybe your teammates didn't have confidence in themselves when they were needed. So there's a lot of things like that. And, and I know I'm, I'm going a little bit off the excuses, but the excuse thing, you know, we come up with excuses. We lose. Well, if we scored 30 points, it's not our fault. Well, maybe we didn't need to score 30 points. Maybe we needed to score 18 points and dish out more assists. Or maybe we needed to cut past the ball. We're not getting an assist, but we cut down the lane hard enough that the help defense came in and sucked in on us, and that allowed someone else to have a shot. Or maybe we didn't set screens hard enough, you know, but then we're going to complain about other people. Or if we don't play enough, you know, I got this the other day on social media, and, and I, I put out this tweet, and I forget the, the exact wording, but it was something to the effect of players should stop complaining 
uh, or getting frustrated when a coach pulls you out, um, yada, yada, yada. And somebody responded to that. Well, coach, I've seen coaches just yank people out right away and, and that's no way to coach and it confuses the kid. And I, and, and my thought was, first of all, I agree. The coach shouldn't be doing that. The coach should never be doing something that could confuse a 15 or a 16 year old, which could be a lot of things. Coaches need to, coaches need to be better at that. But second of all, I don't remember a time ever that a player got pulled and they didn't truly know why they were getting pulled if they were honest with themselves. And what I mean by that is coach might pull you out because they think you're getting tired. Well, they didn't just pull that out of the blue. You were either getting tired and so you lost a step or you were lazy. And they, and they took that as you were getting tired. Or they pulled you out because somebody was more rested and was, re- was rested on the bench and was ready to go back in that you were subbing in for that's a better player than you. And so they subbed because that player that they put in they think is better than you. Or whatever, you were getting frustrated. There's always a reason a coach subs. Like there's always a reason. And if you really dive into it and stop with the excuses and stop, you know, trying to defend yourself, you can really think of what those excuses or what those reasons are. And I'm not saying it's right for the coach to do that, but I'm saying if you're a player listening to this or you're a player thinking about this, all right, be honest with yourself and evaluate yourself. And you know what, if you just got subbed because someone's better, so what slap hands on the bench, Man, and you're going to be the first one to cheer for that person when they're doing well. And you're going to be the one that, you know, you're going to be the one that gets momentum for your team and, motiv- and, and, and gets your team fired up. And you're going to be the, you're going to have that contagious enthusiasm on the bench. You're not going to wait for coach to call your name. And that's when you're going to start being a great teammate because you're going to rush into the game. No, you're going to be the first one to stand when, when things go great. You're going to be the first one to start clapping. Hey, we can do this. You're going to be a momentum generator on your team. Um, you know, and if you're tired, you're going to take a break and you know what, tomorrow in practice or tomorrow before practice, you're going to start working on your conditioning so that, so that you're a little bit better at that. But you know, that's what separates, you mentioned Michael Jordan. That's what separates the great ones from the talented ones. And, and talent is not enough. There's, I get sick of, you know, whether it's this AAU mentality or just this individualistic mentality that, well, I'm better than this kid. And it's like, so what? So what if you're better than this kid? Like you're better because you're more talented because God gave you better leaping ability or you're more talented because your parents, you know, because you're, you're taller or you have, you know, more quick twitch fibers in your muscles or whatever, <laughs> you know, you're, you're faster, you're a better jumper but you're not better for our team. Maybe you're just more talented one-on-one, but this is a team sport. And so, you know, find ways to, to be valuable to this team, find ways to, to do what you can. And, and, you know, you talk about Michael Jordan and, and, you know, whether you love him or hate him personality wise, that dude was all about winning and he was going to do whatever it took to, to help his team win. And, and he wasn't passing the ball to, to Paxson and Steve Kerr just to prove to everybody that he could pass the ball. He was passing them the ball because that's what that play, that's what it called for at that moment for his team to win. Um, you know, he was going to do whatever it took and he was going to work outside of practice as well. So, you know, I think sometimes, I think sometimes players 
don't want to work quite as hard um, as they need to, at least that match their goals, you know, whatever their stated goals are, whatever they want to be as a basketball player, let's say they don't, they don't put the work in. Um, and then they're not patient enough when it doesn't come all at once either. Um, you know, it, it's not always going to come just because you work hard for two days in a row and you come early to practice for two days in a row doesn't mean you're going to play, you know, twice as much as you did the last game. You know, you right. got to be patient. But I've you know, actually I, got a I've actually got a perfect quote. Sorry to cut you off. I no, actually got a perfect quote from your book that ties into what you're talking about right here. So well, that's funny. Uh, funny that it, probably the book can say it a lot better than I can. <laughs> no, we, we were talking about excuses, and then we were talking about the level of commitment, um, and then you know even the mentality of players, like the players saying, you know, well I dropped thirty points, you know, and then kind of blaming a loss on someone else. You, there's a quote in the in your book. It says bad players remember the good things they do, but good players remember the times that they messed up. And I guarantee you, Michael Jordan remembered the times that he messed up more than the times he did good. And heck, I'm a I'm a high school and college basketball official, right? A referee, you know. And when I get home from games at night during basketball season, I'm much like coaches or players. And and people may not understand this, but when I get home at night and I think I've missed a few calls or I've had a bad game. I can't go to sleep until two o'clock in the morning, man. Seriously, I just keep playing those plays over and over in my mind about how I could be in a better position, you know, how I could see the play a little bit better. Should I have, you know, passed on that one or should I have taken that one? You know, so there's, I understand what you said when you, when that quote popped up in the book and it it applies not only to players, referees, it applies to coaches as well. You know, I, I would say, I'd venture to say that coaches that, that think more about what they did good instead of how they can continue to improve or probably treading water. Yeah. Uh, too many times it's like, Hey, remember, uh, I mean, remember when, uh, you know, if you're a parent, remember when my kid, my kid, my kid came early to practice a couple of times or a, a kid will say that, Hey, don't you remember when I came to practice a couple of times early or I stayed like, I stayed after practice and got more shots up on the gun. And it's like the great players, they remember that day that they didn't stay after. Right. Um, you know, they remember the day that or the week that maybe they didn't work as hard afterwards and it might have cost them a game the next week. They might have missed that crucial shot at the end of the game. And they're remembering, you know what? I didn't stay after practice and work on my free throws. Um, I don't know how many times I would have a kid say, Coach, I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. Remember that time I blocked out? Remember that, t- remember that time? Remember that time I got that loose ball? <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> Which, like, like you remember the one time you got that loose ball, the great hustlers remember the time that they didn't go for the loose ball, that they just like bent down at their waist right. you know, to get the loose ball. And someone came in and dove and got that, you know, got that tip to, to generate some momentum for their team. And, and, you know, I think that that's, that's so true. You know, I mean, it's in writing, it's in the book, so it's gotta be true, Has but it's be. a, it's a great thought, you know, not just with, uh, not just with with uh basketball but you know i mean hey honey you know i'm, I'm talking to my wife hey honey you know, I, I, what are you talking about i picked up my socks last week don't you remember that time it's like <laughs> yeah but the other five six days of the week i didn't but that one time remember that time i took out the trash um exactly. you know you know the bad the bad players remember that good thing that they do and the good players remember the time that they didn't block out the time they didn't get the loose ball the time they didn't run the floor and they needed to and it cost them a cost them a layup on the other side 
Yeah. And you had mentioned this earlier, but I think that being honest with yourself too, in these situations can, can obviously can help you improve, but it's, it's critical um, to be able to help you get where you want to go, to be honest with yourself and to be honest about the fact that when you're making changes, whether it be to your game or, you know, maybe something even bigger, um, you, you do have to be patient with the results sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't come right away. And you did mention the word patience. And another thing, you know, that Mr. Frank dropped in the book um, was he actually said this. He said, remember that patience isn't just about our ability to wait. It's also about our attitude while we wait. And what we're discussing right now is all about attitude. It's about your mindset, about your attitude towards and being honest with yourself about how you can improve. And so I love how that you tied patience in with the attitude there. And, and another, sorry, I'm just dropping things from your book right here, but this, it was really, really good. This section in particular, after they left the, the game that they had played originally, they're heading on their bus trip home, but you know, stuck in traffic. Um, I love the part about the, the flat tire reference, um, you know, and about when it, in reference in regards to attitude. Um, so that was, that was fantastic. You want to elaborate a little bit more on attitude and, and kind of what you talked about in the book? Yeah, uh, a lot of times attitudes, uh, uh, bad attitudes like a flat tire. You can't get very far unless you change it. Um, and, and you've got to change that that tire if you're going to go anywhere and you got to change that bad attitude if you're going to go anywhere very far and, and, and accomplish your your goals. And, and you're very, you're, you're right. Uh, you know, a lot of times we think, well, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I, I can wait. I'm patient. I can wait for my time to come. But you're being a sourpuss the whole time and you're complaining about the coach and you're, you know, that's not, I mean, yeah, you're kind of waiting, but you really have no choice. You know, you don't want to leave the team, but you're really not having a good attitude while you wait. And that's not really being patient. That's just, that's just attrition. That's just waiting. I I don't even know the right word, but that's just waiting. Um, You know, you got to have a good attitude while you wait as well. And and that helps you with the, the patience. And uh, I want to go back to something that, that you said right before talking about patience and you talked about honest evaluation. And, and I think that this is very true, certainly true for parents. You know, they don't honestly evaluate their kid. This is true for players. They don't truly evaluate themselves, but it's also true for coaches. And, and I know you got more coaches listening to this than players. And, and I don't want to be, you know, fire and brimstone preacher to coaches because I think coaching is difficult. And I, I love that you guys that are listening to this episode, that, that you're investing in kids, that you want to coach. And you put yourself out there all the time. But I do want to also emphasize, you also have to evaluate yourself. As coaches, we have to evaluate ourselves. And my first couple of years of being a head coach, I wasn't evaluating myself, honestly. You know, and I mentioned it earlier, you know, the kids were idiots. The kids were soft. The kids weren't committed. Um, You know, fill in the blank. But I wasn't evaluating my coaching style. And I wasn't evaluating how I was doing things either. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned in the book, it's, it's a real quick mention, but I mentioned this thing from Shark Tank and there was this thing about the skinny mirror on Shark Tank. And, and if anyone's ever seen that episode, it's kind of a funny episode, but it's true is you go into this, these dressing rooms at stores and they have these mirrors and, and they're literally called the skinny mirror. That's the brand. And they make you look skinnier when you try clothes on. And and so you end up buying the clothes because it, you like the way it makes you look. 
which makes complete sense. I'm not sure it's ethical, but it makes complete sense. Probably not ethical. <laughs> no, but they literally, they do make these mirrors and they are exactly. literally in uh, stores and Smart. you like the way that it makes you look. Well, as coaches, as players, and as parents, we sometimes, or a lot of times actually go through life looking at a skinny mirror. We look at ourselves the way we want to look at ourselves. And we don't honestly evaluate and assess where we're at. And so therefore our growth and our development uh, is slowed. We don't get to where we want to get to as quickly as we want to get to because we're not taking care of some of those flaws or those weaknesses. And, and as soon as we can start looking at a real mirror with a proverbially a real mirror, then we're going to be able to address some of these flaws that are maybe holding us back a little bit. And, uh, you know, and that goes for parents, players, and coaches. And like I said, man, I love what coaches do. I, I love the investment that they make in players. It's not an easy job, but I want to make sure that they're also looking at how they're doing things and they're not just doing things because that's the way their coach did it or the way they like to be coached as a, as a player or even what worked last year. You know, we, most of us love coach K. Well, coach K has adjusted and adapted through the years. I mean, he's, he's doing stuff today that he didn't do five years ago or 10 years ago. Um, he's constantly adjusting and, and the best coaches do that. Um, and, and we need to do that, you know, whether it's how we're, you know, engaging with our players, interacting with our players, uh, what our rules are, you know, do we have this big, huge rule book? Um, how, what our practices are like, man, if our practices are boring, you know, I mean, seriously, we're, we're going, sorry. I, I mean, we're really expecting a 15 year old not to get bored with practice. If we're doing the same thing over and over again, they're stinking 15, 16 years old. How, <laughs> I mean, they're going to get bored. And, and yet we don't put enough time as coaches and I was just as guilty of this. We don't put enough time into planning practice so that it's, it's engaging and so that we're able to inspire our players. And so they're not standing around. So they're always doing stuff. Um, and, and we're giving them a reason to stay engaged in practice. And, and then we wonder why, you know, they don't execute in games or we bang our head against the wall. It's because they didn't pay attention in practice because it was boring as heck. Absolutely. And, and you think you referenced coach K about adapting and that's, I think being able to adapt is not possible unless you do have that honest evaluation of yourself, you know, that honest self-evaluation to be able to say, Hey, there's some things that I could change here. There's some things that I could do differently. And this is particularly important for coaches to do um, from time to time too, and to be able to not only manage their team, but to be able to move forward and with what they're trying to teach. Um, one of the questions I had is when you talk about that, honest evaluation. Sometimes we're not able to see ourselves clearly, you know, and sometimes we're not able to offer quite as honest evaluation as we probably need sometimes. So from a coaching standpoint, when you coached, how did you involve your assistants in that process um, to help you evaluate where you guys were at as a team? Yeah, great, great question. Um, and and I, I would like to say that I always did this right, but I didn't. I got better as I went along. But, uh, you know, first of all, you want to try to surround yourself with, with people that are not necessarily like-minded, but people that you can trust. Um, people not necessarily that you can trust to tell you what you want to hear, but people that you can trust 
that will be on the same page as you in terms of if this is the vision for the team or the program that they're going to support you with that and that they're going to give you honest feedback uh, in the appropriate manner at the appropriate time. And so I had a couple of assistants uh, that were, that were near and dear to me. And, and actually I mentioned earlier that we put them in the book. One was Brandon. Uh, his name was Brandon Cruz and you, you, you know him from Tennessee temple. Right. Uh, he was a baseball player there. And then he was my assistant coach at Bryan college also in Tennessee. And he was a, a, a my trusted right-hand man. And what I tried to do was, first of all, I tried to equip him. And so I tried to teach him like in terms of what I was thinking and what my philosophies were, I tried to equip him to do his job as best as possible. But then we worked to, to grow together and encourage one another. And I wanted him to feel empowered that he could talk to me, that he could give me ideas that if he thought something else would be better, that he would, he would mention that. But you also have to be on the same page and communicate enough so that he knows where you're coming from and why you make decisions. So it's not just random. Well, I think we should run this because we did this in AAU or we did this in summer ball, or I saw a team do this on TV the other night. It's like, if that doesn't, if that doesn't mesh with your overall core values or your principles that I don't want just someone spouting off just because they played Madden or they played NBA 2K, Y2, whatever the newest video games are, um, you know, whatever the video game is, just because they do well in that running these plays, we're going to put this in. Right. I want him to, to be equipped with what, what we're trying to do, but then I'm going to have confidence in him and empower him to speak his mind. And then the other guy was Larry Sandy. Um, and uh, he was a national coach for Trinidad and Tobago, uh, but he's also in the book. Um, it's the weird, weird spelling of Larry. Uh, nice. People might think it's Lieri, but uh, uh, yeah, he was a great. Uh, I actually, I got, I actually did think it was Lieri. Yeah, yeah, and that's his name fine. is actually spelled like that. Uh, his name is actually spelled L E A R I E. It looks nice. like Lieri, <laughs> and uh, but it's Larry. That's his first that's name, great. and. And he was a great, uh, he was a trusted uh, coach of mine when I was at Martin Methodist College. And, and I wanted to honor him by putting him in the book as well. And I, I kept his name the same to, to fully honor him. But, you know, those are guys, and, and I would love to say, you know, hey, I was this great boss and I was this great leader. That wasn't the case. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes as a head coach with my assistant coaches, but I tried to when I said, hey, you can tell me what you think we need to do differently, then what I did was I made sure when they told me that I took it to heart and I didn't look at them funny. I didn't act like they were stupid. I didn't act like, hey, I'm the boss. You know, you, you be quiet and sit down. Um, you know, if I'm going to say I have an open door policy to a player, essentially, then I want to make sure it's open door. Um, you know, if I say, Hey, give me suggestions. I want to make sure that, that I'm going to take that the right way. And sometimes it takes some humility. And sometimes I had to really, really, really work hard on my mental toughness right? because if they criticized me and I thought I was right, I had to bite my tongue and say, you know what? I need to examine this. I need to look at this because I trust these guys. So I know they're not just spouting off, you know, just stupid things they picked up from ESPN last night. They know how I think. They know what we're trying to accomplish. So what they're telling me is something that fits that. So now I have to evaluate it, but I can't get upset at them um, 
you know, even if they criticize me. And so that takes some humility as a leader. And, you know, each year I would get a little bit better at that. And, uh, you know, if I kept coaching till I was about 85, I might've perfected it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the clip during uh, college basketball season this year with Archie Miller at uh, the university of Indiana, but there was this clip that kind of went viral and, you know, it was basically him and his assistant coach sitting on the bench together and they're just having it out. And so everybody, you know, you have people commenting on Twitter about, you know, how they're yelling at each other and this can't be good for the program. There's so much dissension. Um, and here's the thing is they may be right. People that criticize that or whatever, they may be right, but you don't know, right? You don't know that what he's asked him to do or how he's empowered him. He may want that, you know, that's the kind of challenge he may want, you know? And so criticizing other people's way of, of having that honest evaluation and getting that, that feedback from their people on their staff, you know, I don't know if there's one single right answer, but I definitely love the things that you brought up about your experiences of how people have helped you evaluate that. You know, with you saying that, I, I would agree with you, Chip. Um, what I would say, though, is a caution to coaches, not, not always in that situation necessarily, but the optics and the way something looks. If Indiana is undefeated or at the top of the league, sometimes, or if a team is at the top and you have one of those issues, it doesn't look as bad. If you're struggling, you're probably struggling with some trust issues with your players also. And so even if there's trust issues, it, let's say there's 100% implicit trust between the head coach and the assistant coach in that case, okay? And that's totally acceptable from a coaching staff standpoint. There's probably at least a player or two or a parent or two that doesn't hold that same trust factor with those coaches. And so when they see that, that gives them an excuse and a reason to, to say, see, our culture is not good, or this is why we're losing, whether it's true or not. And, and sometimes the optics can play against us as a coach, even though we're right, even though what we did was okay. From our standpoint, someone else could look at that and say, see, that's what I've been talking to you about. And, and they can almost make stuff up. Um, but, but correlating that to player coach sometimes, there's been times when a coach might yell at a player or get on a player and that player has even told the coach, you can get on me anytime I can handle it. But what happens sometimes is that player's friend can't handle it. The other players see that mm. and they say, see coaches, coaches treating them unfairly coaches doing this coaches doing that coach shouldn't coach shouldn't yell at them like that. I don't care if that player can take, I don't, you know, I don't care if Jalen can handle it. I know Jalen told him that, but he doesn't have to be so mean to him. You know, he doesn't have to do that all the time. And, and I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying that that's the way life should be, but I'm saying the reality sometimes those optics, the reality is those optics can cause that team more challenge and more struggles behind the scenes and as your culture. And if you're winning, it maybe gets glossed over a little bit easier, but if you're struggling or, or, you know, underachieving a little bit, those things can come up and bite you. And, and once again, I'm not saying that that's right, but sometimes we do have to think about things. I'm not saying don't yell at players. I'm not saying don't yell at coaches. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying we need to consider things that maybe we wouldn't consider 10, 15 years ago 
And just because we think something should be doesn't mean it's the way it is. And so, we, you know, uh, I'm walking, uh, you know, I'm in high school and I'm walking with my mom down the sidewalk and we have to cross the street. And, you know, like a punk kid, I'm not going to wait for the crosswalk. I'm, I, I just have to cross the street now because I'm impatient and I'm, I'm a teenager. And so I start to cross the street and my mom grabs my shoulder and she's like, Jamie, what are you doing? There's cars coming. I'm like, mom, seriously, I, I got this, mom. I got this. Pedestrians have the right of way. And I thought I was, you know, I thought I was a stud because I you had said my mom. that to her. I did. I said pedestrians have the right of way because legally pedestrians have the right of way. And you know what she said to me? She goes, yeah, Jamie, and you'll be dead right. Oh, well. And, and you know, I think about that often because as coaches we're the smartest people in that locker room we're the smartest people on in that gym we're right and players should do this they should do that players should act this way this is the way things should be but sometimes they're not and we can we we can dig our feet in the sand and we can die on this hill and we can be dead right and you know what? We can lose our team. We can lose these games because we're point. dead right. Um, I, I was playing this game once, coaching this game, and we had prepared awesome. Like, we were going against this team. All they ever do is play this zone, and we shoot the heck out of the ball. And, man, we're going to kill them because we've got all this stuff in to go against their zone. We are so prepared. And they come out in the first couple possessions. They play man. And my kids are like, coach, they're playing man. They never, you said they never play man. I said, they don't. They play zone. They'll go back to it. They'll go back to it. Don't worry. They're just doing that to start with. Well, at halftime, we're down by about 15. And, and the players are like, are you sure they're going to go zone? Oh, yeah. They're, they can't play the whole game in zone or man. They never play man. They always play zone. Yeah, they beat us by like 25 because they played the whole game in man. And I never really made an adjustment. I kept hoping and I kept telling my players, Oh, they're going to go back to zone. That's terrible coaching. And I, I know there's some coaches like shaking their head or rolling their eyeballs like, well, we'd never do that. And it's like, well, well, first of all, you may not because you're a better coach. There's a lot of better coaches than me at times, but there's probably something that we're stubborn about and we don't adjust as quickly as we should because we're right. And we might be right, but we also might be dead right. And, and you know, that game with me with zone and man, you know, that was one game, but you know, me saying players should do this or they should do that, or they shouldn't take it this way or whatever, you know, that can cost you a whole season just being dead. Right. Even though you are right in theory and in textbooks, you're right. But in reality, you were dead. Right. That's a really, really good point. I've never heard it broken down quite that way. So thank you for dropping that on us. That's, that's very, very good. I, it made me think too of, um, kind of to transition to the the back to the player aspect, you know, coach and player um, with a coach that does have great intentions with their players and is invested in their, their team. Um, and that maybe they have those players that um, are not coachable. Right. Mm-hmm. So well, you do it in a correct way. You, you, we want to do it in a correct way, right. Um, to be able to coach them in a correct way, much like what you were just talking about. Um, but when they're not coachable, you know, what are, what are some of your kind of things that you would go to, to, to be able to open their mind a little bit, if you're even able to, you know? Yeah. 
the first first thing is you have to going back to what we said you have to evaluate are they not coachable or are they just fighting you on stuff are they not coachable are you not explaining things well enough are you not inspiring them are you not motivating them um you know and, and okay uh, there's a lot of things that you can do. Are you putting them in positions to succeed? You know, sometimes they're stubborn or they're uncoachable, but we haven't put them in the proper positions to, to show off their skills or to, um, you know, I mean, how many times and okay. I, I, I think a little differently sometimes than, than others, but, but there's, there's plenty of high school coaches listening to this and, and college coaches do this as well it's a blowout. Okay. You're winning by 25 fourth quarter. It's a blowout. So what do you do? You, you, you're, you're going to sit your starters, right? You know, you're, you're going to sit your starters and you're going to play, you know, the bench players. Okay. That's great. The bench players love that. They, they love getting into the game, but what about your fourth man on your team? What about that power forward that does all the dirty work and you never run any plays for them. Now they got to sit because they're a starter and they're, you know, because they play a lot, they sit, you know, if you toss that kid a bone every once in a while and let, and run some plays for them with the second string, you know, why sit him? You know, and I understand hundred percent why you sit them, but toss him a bone and, and encourage that kid by, Hey, we're going to get you a couple plays here. And, and I would say as coaches, if you have 15 basketball players on your bench or 12 basketball players on your bench, have a play for each one, have a play that they would like to run. If they were ever in that situation, you know, we talked about Hick, uh, uh, Hoosiers earlier. If they're ever right. in a Jimmy Chitwood moment, yes. you know, what play would you want to be? What, what play in our playbook would you want to run? And it might be the 15th man that's never going to get to run it, but know what they're going to do. And maybe that power forward or that fourth or fifth guy on your team or in the starting lineup, Give them a few extra minutes of run and let them be the star. And, and that doesn't 100% answer your question about coachable, uncoachable. But what it does is that kind of mentality of trying to put yourself in a player's shoes and seeing things from their perspective and what they could be thinking, even though trying to think of what a 15 and 16-year-old is thinking can, can blow your mind up. It could be so it's scary. It's nearly impossible these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. You could implode your brain. But still, you want to try to look at perspectives of your players. And maybe they want to score. Maybe they want to play once in a while, uh, a Jimmy Chitwood style. Think about what it is that your players want because then that then helps you to meet them halfway and start to reach a kid that's uncoachable, in our opinion. Um, you know, uh, uh, you have to start thinking as a coach what it is that this player wants, what it is they desire, what's important to them, what they would find, what would make them feel successful, or what would make them feel satisfied at this practice, in this next hour um, of of practice, of of this training session, of this game, and and can you accomplish that? And, and certainly I'm not saying bend over backwards for all 15 players. You can't make everybody happy. You know, you're not selling ice cream. You know, you are a leader and, and leaders are going to make people upset or dissatisfied at some point, but you don't have to do it purposely just because you're a coach and do as I say. And, you know, cause once again, you're the adult. Well, yeah, I know I'm the adult. Yeah. You're the adult. So act like an adult. Don't, don't, 
lorded over a 15 year old or 16 year old thinking that they're going to be the mature one in this relationship. They're not going to be mature in this relationship. They're going to have attitude. They're going to, they're going to have low attention spans. They're going to be selfish. Um, and, and you know what, if you think that their parents are idiots, well, where do you think they get it? You know, it's just, we as coaches have to, and I needed to do a better job when I coached, we need to be the mature one and think of how can we best, how can we make this situation the best? How can we make a win-win situation? I go back to, it might not be your fault, but it is your responsibility to try to find a solution and try to find a win-win. So, you know, we talked about connecting, connect with those kids. Uh, you know, I had a coach come to me two years ago from Michigan or he was coaching high school in Michigan and he had this six, nine kid, everybody and their brother was recruiting this kid. And he was like, you know, he's going to play college. He's getting recruited, but I just can't get anything out of him. He, he's not motivated. He doesn't care. He's not committed, but he's just really talented. And, you know, uh, long story short, I was like, is he interested in anything outside of basketball? He's like, yeah, this, this Fortnite thing. I said, okay, do you know anything about Fortnite? He goes, no, I go, neither do I, but let me tell you, it's famous. It's popular. Okay. And I can guarantee you that there's some NBA player that plays Fortnite that loves Fortnite. I have no idea who it is whatsoever. No idea. No, I'm sure there's somebody there. There is. So Google it, Google, (laughs) find a player that likes Fortnite. And then either print off an article or just casually after practice one day or whatever, go up to him and said, Hey man, uh, did you know that so-and-so plays Fortnite all the time that so-and-so loves Fortnite? And you don't have to like turn and walk away, like drop the mic moment. Right. But that could be just the, the opening that you need just a little bit. Not that you're BFFs with this kid and you're now connected with this kid that you can't reach. But now all of a sudden, this might be just the glimmer or the first step in this kid thinking, hey, coach kind of cares about what I care about. He doesn't know anything about it and he doesn't like it and he doesn't play it. You don't have to listen to their music or play their games, but you have to care about what they care about. And that's important to kids. Remember, they're still kids and they want attention and they want, they don't, they don't need you to play Fortnite with them. And they don't need you to be on Twitch playing, you know, these war games and shoot 'em up games, you know, Call of Duty. They don't need to be doing this on their computers with coach, but they want coach to understand that this is something that's important to them. Um, and that can be just one little thing that starts to melt the ice. And then you'll see maybe a coachable, an uncoachable player become a little bit more coachable. One final thing on the coachable thing is what I tried to do toward the end of my career was not at all talk to a player about them being uncoachable because no player thinks that they're uncoachable and, and that's an automatic defense mechanism. What I would talk about is, hey, what you're doing right now or what you did in that game or what you did 10 minutes ago, it made you an unapproachable player. I had a hard time as a coach approaching you because this is the body language that you had, or this is when I tried to talk to you, this is what you did. And I know you're coachable and I know you want to be better. I know because you've told me in the office that you want to achieve this goal or you want to do this or this or this. And so I know that you want me to coach you and you want to be better, but you weren't approachable just then. 
And so I felt like I wasn't able to coach you the way you want to be coached because you weren't approachable, if that's that very makes good. sense. And no, so it's just, that's good. It's just a different way of saying it. <laughs> no, that's, but, that's very, very good. And, and um, you, you mentioned a kind of a quote that I actually saw you tweet out the other day uh, that I really love. It might not be your fault, but it's 100% your responsibility. Um, you know, and these kids, you know, these student athletes that, that, you know, we work with, it's a hundred percent our responsibility to, to be there for them and to find interesting ways to adapt, um, to be able to help them be coachable without just coming right out and saying, I love that you used approachable instead of coachable. I, I went ahead and referenced your Twitter. So go ahead and, um, while we're on this topic, could you go ahead and give people a way to connect with you, how to yeah. find you on Twitter, all your other connection items? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, Twitter, it's at Coach Beckler. And uh, at Coach Beckler, I'm also on Instagram once in a while. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm more on Twitter. Uh, I guess I'm a moron on Twitter. I'm more on, I'm more on Twitter. <laughs> but I'm, more, I'm, I'm on Twitter more than uh, all the other platforms. But at Coach Beckler on Twitter. And we try to throw out there a, a whole bunch of insightful and and kind of inspiring things. And we try to be positive and, and we try to help both players and coaches to, to be better where they're at. And, uh, you know, that's, we, we try not to get into controversial stuff. Uh, you know, we, we want to keep it positive and, and keep people, uh, you know, moving forward and, and being responsible in their life and, and maximizing their potential and maximizing their strengths. And, and, uh, you know, that's one thing as a coach, I, I love saying, you know, coaches, the best coaches maximize a kid's strengths, minimize a kid's weakness, and, and uh, you know, do all that they can to motivate and inspire. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think we get too caught up sometimes. I know what we said we have to evaluate. We have to look at flaws. We have to look at weaknesses. But I think sometimes we get too caught up in, you know, well, this kid can't dribble with their left hand or this kid can't, you know, shoot the three ball or this kid can't do X, Y, and Z. Well, what can the kid do? you know, find what the kid can do and man, just wear that out, you know, accentuate that man, maximize that. Uh, that kid's a superstar in this area, this area, and this area. And we won this game because, because this kid's the LeBron James of X, Y, and Z. And you just wear out the strengths of a kid. And you know, what? if they can't go to their left then don't put them in a position where they have to go to their left you know, figure out, figure out a way, you know, figure out a way to, to minimize and cover up someone's weakness. That's great. Um, and, and also when they, when they do things that you have asked them or you have asked them to do and they do it well, one of the things that I love you brought up in the book too, and I know it was from a player's standpoint, but is the encouragement, but not just encouragement of a player, but being substantive with it. Um, the substance behind the encouragement and not just, you know, not just a, a praise here or there, but actually being substantive. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about getting to know the person, be, their interest, all that stuff. It's, it's more of that authenticity um, that we're talking about. And so encouragement and substantive encouragement is something that really stuck out to me in the book. Yeah. Don't, don't throw out pom-pom praise. You know, don't, don't be the cheerleaders with the pom-poms with a minute to go in the game and you're down 20 and they're like, we're number one, we're number one, we're going to win or whatever the cheers are. It's like, and we have all been there. We've all seen these cheerleaders that have zero clue about the game's situation and they're still because it was on their cheer chart or it was their, and I'm offending every single cheerleading coach out there right what now. Are you, but, what are you doing right now? <laughs> we got the spirit. 
I know, but I'm like, yeah, but we've all been there. We've, we've all been there or seen people who have shallow or I guess how it's trivial praise, you know, Hey, you can do this. We can win. You can do this. Come on, come on, come on. And it's like, no, you can do this because I saw you do this last Tuesday or you know what? I have faith in you. You, we can come back and win because remember two months ago, we were in a similar situation and we came back and did this or, you know, fill in the blank, find ways to give substance, substance, you know, uh, substance, have substance with your praise and your encouragement. Um, don't just be the, the, the dude that's just, uh, you know, barking out, you know, platitudes and stuff, you know, and, and that goes to the coachable stuff that we talked about. It also goes to when you have a kid that's maybe underachieving, maybe not doing what they can do, um, you know, or having an attitude or whatever, you can tell them, you can encourage them by bringing up what they've done in the past, what you know that they can do, why you recruited them, you know, why you kept them on the team when you cut 12 other kids, you know, why they made the team you know, Hey, I believe in you because of X, Y, and Z. Don't just say, I believe in you. You know, they can see through that, especially I believe in you. And then your actions don't match your words, you know, give them a reason. Hey man, you know, yeah, they want to know, they want to know why you believe in them. They don't want to just hear the words. Now, certainly hearing the words is better than no words, but they want to know really why you believe in them and why as a team, you think we can do this or why you think me as a player can do this. That's good. And we've, we have been able to hit on a lot of topics tonight. And once again, I wanted to thank you for coming on with us. Uh, as we wrap up, I know we've covered a lot of your, the great leadership principles that are laid out in the book, your book, the bus trip. Um, and I, I definitely um, am thankful that you were able to dig deeper on some of these two. I guess one of my last ones as we're wrapping up kind of ties in with, with what you were just talking about a few minutes ago, and that has to do with the roles on the team. Uh, I wanted to circle back to that because I know a big thing right now is, well, not even right now, but with coaches and, and, and players especially is knowing their role um, and, and knowing how to do that role really, really well and, and being okay with that role, you know? And so I wanted you to kind of spend a couple minutes as we wind down to be able to kind of talk about roles, teamwork, and things of that nature. Yeah. You know, as a coach, one of your jobs, one of your responsibilities is putting people in the right positions, putting people in the right roles um, that they can either one uh, maximize their potential or help the team maximize the team's potential. But let's say a kid is in the role that maybe doesn't maximize their potential, um, but it will help the team then you have to really communicate them with them, you know, Hey, be patient, you know, your time's coming or this is, you know, yes, you are a scorer, but our team is going to do better right now with you doing this. And, and, you know, you're, you're going to help the team win. And I know that you want to help the team win because that was your number one goal. You know, you talk, talk to me in the office about that. When we had this, when, when we had our meeting in the office to start the year, you said this, this, and this. And so I know that this is more important than your scoring average. Your scoring is going to come one day, but you know, this role that you're in right now is going to help the team and you can be a star. You can be a superstar in your role, which will allow us to be champions or allow us to reach the goals as a team that we need to. If you're a player, you know, you need to be reassured by the coach. Um, you know, I mean, coaches need to reassure the players um, but if you're a player, 
you know, you need, if you're unhappy with your role and a lot of players are, I know I was at different times, you have to do the best job as you can in that role while you wait and prepare for your next role. Um, you know, show everybody that you can do the little things, show people that you can have a great attitude in the role that you're currently in while preparing for the role that you desire one day. Um, you know, and, and, you know, there's a, there's a biblical parable about, you know, those people that essentially take care of the little things will be able to take care of the big things. Um, and, and that's similar with players, but you know, our, our agendas, our egos get in the way sometimes, but you know, that comes back to, you know, the, the majority of your audience are coaches and how are you reinforcing those roles? You know, if you're overall, you know, if it, let's say we win a, sh a game on the last second shot and all you're talking about in with the media afterwards or the, the newspaper reporter or the radio people or anyone that wants to listen is the kid that hit the shot. Then the team picks up on that. And even the dumbest parent in the stands knows that the kid just hit the shot. Like they can talk about that, but man, if you talk about the kid that, that made the extra pass or the kid that set the screen or the kid that the possession before on defense took the charge when they had four fouls, they stepped in and they didn't care that they had four fouls and the referees, you know, Chip Clark as a referee had been making terrible calls all night. Come on, come on. You know, those 50-50 <laughs> calls had gone against them all night oh, long. Oh, boy. And that idiot referee, you know, and <laughs> but the kid still steps in because that's what the team needed. And, yes, he took the charge. And so that got the ball back for the game-winning shot. You know, if you as a coach start pointing those things out, you know, or in football, you know, our, our inclination is to go, you know, cheer on that running back when they score the touchdown. But how about we, we give some love to the big nasties first, you know, the guys that created that hole. So, you know, if we're trying to get these kids to accept a role and to sacrifice, and no one wants to do that, you know, us, us 30 and 40 year olds don't want to sacrifice, you know, and be unselfish. Definitely a 15 and 16 year old don't want to. So if we reinforce what we're preaching about team, then they're going to be more likely to do that next time because, yeah, I didn't hit the shot. I didn't get in the box score that way. But coach just told everybody and their brother, everybody that would listen, that I had a, a lot to do with that or I was the person that made that happen. That's so important. And, and I was blessed when I was playing basketball in high school. And I wasn't the best basketball player. Um, soccer was my sport. Sorry, guys. But uh, I wasn't the best basketball player. But one of the things I appreciate now looking back, and I still tell this story to this day, is my high school basketball coach. He was very direct in, my, in talking to me about my role. And I appreciated that. I may not have liked it all that much at the time. I mean, I think I probably had the best three-point percentage on our high school team. It, I was three out of four for the season because my coach told me at the start of the season, you are the best defender in the state. That's why you're starting on this basketball team. You're not a shooter. If you shoot the ball, I will pull you out of the game immediately. That is why we have Brett and Cedric and Justin on the team. He was very, very direct about that. I appreciated that. I may not have liked it at the time, but it helped make us better. So I love that you talked about the delivery of, you know, those roles and how you communicate that with the team and then how you reinforce it is a huge deal too. how you reinforce those things that you instill in your team. Coach, this has been a great – and sorry, I keep calling you – I call you coach because I knew you when you were a coach. So, <laughs> do people it's still, still my, call it's still you my coach? Twitter. Yeah, it's still my Twitter. Oh, that's um, right. And they can get to it. I mean, Coach Beckler, at Coach Beckler, um, Instagram, Twitter, and they can also get to the website, uh, coachbeckler.com. So, yeah, and uh, – yeah, I just – 
really, I did that, you know, cause I can't, I can't, uh, I can't get away from being a coach. You know, I still, I still have a little coaching in my, in my blood. Absolutely. And you, and you don't just coach right now. You're not a basketball coach, but you don't just coach teams now, or you coach businesses as well too. You can travel around and speak a lot, right? Yep. Uh, That's great. Yeah. And so your website, is it coach Beckler? Or is it Jamie? Beckler? Both. Both. It's both. You have both. Yeah. Okay, but, cool. but uh, most people spell my name wrong and my, okay. <laughs> my Jamie is spelled differently. It's J A M Y. And uh, my dad, you know, Frank, Mr. Frank, my dad right. literally did not know how to spell Jamie. My mom and my dad ne- talked about the name, but never talked about the spelling. And so when I popped out at the hospital and the nurse asked my dad, uh, he did not know how to spell Jamie. He said, I guess it's just Amy with a J. And so, wow, uh, that's a great story. So I'm Amy with a J, but, but most people, most people spell it wrong. So I figure coach Beckler, you know, it gives them at least a chance to get it right. That's right. And just in case spelling isn't your thing, let me go ahead and tell you too. So it's coachbeckler.com or jamiebeckler.com and Beckler is spelled B-E-C-H-L-E-R, correct? Yeah, I got a crazy name. You know, it's, it, I love it, it. looks, it looks like Bachelor. <laughs> Everybody says Belcher, but it's pronounced Beckler. Like the old Michigan oh, football man. coach, Bo Shem Beckler. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, hey, it has been an honor to have you on tonight. Thank you so much for talking about this. You guys, please go check out his books. Um, I'd love for you to share, especially the bus trip and, and the other books he's written too, but especially the bus trip with your teams, with your players, your assistant coaches. I think it's a great read and it's something we talked about tonight and all these principles that we discussed on this podcast tonight um, are discussed in the book in detail and in a very simple way and easy to read. So please go check out that book. Um, coach, thanks again for coming on the podcast tonight, Matt and myself. Um, we really appreciate you and thanks for being a part of it. Thanks Chip. Enjoyed it. Thanks again for listening to the United basketball and leadership podcast. My name's Chip. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find my email address and my social media handles in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about this podcast or about United Basketball's fall coaching clinics, please follow us on Twitter at United underscore clinics, or you can visit our website at unitedbasketballclinics.com. We hope you choose to join us for one of our clinics this fall, and we hope to have you listen again to United Basketball and Leadership Podcast.